We're looking at uh, Deuteronomy today. In that book, the second law giving or the second teaching, as it were. You already had the reading from chapter 4. And now I'm going to be giving you a little bit of a summary from the first four chapters. Talking about the life of Moses and his journey and how he led the people of Israel and so forth. And what, what it was that was his message and how he was able to lead and to take the children of Israel right to the precipice of the Holy Land. The land of promise. The land flowing with milk and honey. Join me, if you will, to the uh, first chapter. And we're going to be reading from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the end of chapter 4. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Go ahead and relax. Don't stress, all right? We're going to skip one of those first. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Deuteronomy 1.1. It says, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. And I don't want to continue to belabor you with uh, where the exact geography was, but we're outside the Holy Land at this point. Basically, it says in the 14th year, verse 3, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites that all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them, this was after he had defeated Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and at Edrai, had defeated Og, the king of Bashan, who reigned in, the, in Ashtaroth, east of the Jordan in the territory of Moab. And Moses began to expound this law, saying, and when he begins this saying, what, what you just read is the timetable here, for when the Lord is going to be leading them into the promised land. Now, Deuteronomy only takes place in, the, in a week, couple of weeks, that type of framework, okay? We've already, he's basically coming to the end of those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He showed you some of these defeats here, the, you know, Og, the king of Ashan, and, and so forth. So you see that these people are beginning to be taken out of the picture. When the Lord told them to go into the promised land, a land that is surely flowing with milk and honey, a land that I promise you, and you will defeat, and you will totally drive out all the inhabitants thereof, because these inhabitants are in your land, a land that I'm giving to you, and you're to totally drive them out, all of them, and leave none remaining. Now, of course, we see some of the issues, and we're not going to look at all of those today. But you see that Moses was given the charge to lead this people, and he led them through all this wilderness wandering, these 40 years of getting these people down to a point where they were faithful and they would follow God in the place that he would give them. That's where we find ourselves here. So when he says all of this and he tells them this, he reminds them that look what God has done, not just recently, but look also what God has done, how he delivered all of his people out of Egypt. Okay? You remember that all these many years we were in Egypt and we were in bondage. And then when the Lord was able to bring us out, then we also had this challenge. By the way, it only takes maybe 11 to 20 days or so to be able to, to walk from uh, where they were in Egypt to the area of the promised land. So why did it take 40 years? 
Well, they got sidetracked, you know. Or maybe was it, maybe it wasn't just the wrong turn. Maybe it was that God needed to be, to, excuse me, to build a people who would be faithful to him in the place where he would lead them. And he whittled them down, and he whittled them down. And we're going to see some more whittling, even this morning. All right. So the Lord says, The Lord our God has said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. And go to all the neighboring peoples of the Arabah in the mountains and in the west hills and in the Negev, that's the south, and along the coast uh, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Okay, taking a little break, a little aside. Israel today is still fighting for her borders. Israel today is still fighting for the... And, and by the way, Israel, the nation of Israel, is a much smaller geographic area than even the place that the Lord described. They're not even talking about all their lands. And then still, what comes every time there's arguments with the uh, Arab countries around them, well, look how ruthless Israel is. You know, she treats their people, by the way, by the, the only humane people in the region. But they point the finger at the Israelites. Look at how they're, you know, just hurtful toward everybody else. And they're doing all this. They should give up this land. They should give up Palestine. They should give up, you know, the, uh, 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 gosh, the, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. But anyway, they should give up uh, all of their territories and allow these other people to come in and, and take over their land. Why? If God has given you something, then never give it up. I'm going to share a story how, um, and maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just share a little bit more before we get going, but uh, I want you to pray with me that I will be clear of mind as I share this story because I want you to clearly understand where I'm coming from and what I believe it is that God wants to share to, with us as we move through this book and learn a little bit from Moses, his trials, and his leadership. Okay? Join me in work. Lord, I thank you for uh, the way that you've given us vision, the way that you've afforded us a set of rules to abide by. Lord, you gave people of old a great promise, and you were true to that promise on your side. The people of old fell short. The people of our day also fall short. But we pray, Lord, that we would take courage and that we would be brave and courageous and certainly go in and take the land that you've given to us. And that we would hold on to it and that we would cherish it and that we would appreciate the gift of God and not take, take it lightly and not cast our pearls, as it were, before the swine. Lord, for the gift that you've given to us, each one of us, the inheritance of your kingdom, and the promise that we'll be with you forever. Lord, help us to cherish that and to thereby live 
under the rules that you've given us today. We, we pray that we might take these decrees, take these laws, take your promise, and live with those truths. Learn the lessons from Moses that we might learn a lesson in our life even today. Thank you for these that have prayed this prayer along with me. And pray that your word would never go out void, never return empty, but always bring forth great fruit. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray today. Amen. Moses was a type of deliverer. He was a type of Christ, as it were. Remember, Christ in the New Testament delivered us from our sins. It was Moses who delivered his people, Israel, from their bondage. Our bondage to sin, Jesus liberated us from. Moses delivered the people of Israel from their bondage in that ungodly country or country of many gods of Egypt and wanted to deliver them into the promised land. Over, uh, over my uh, vacation time, I had uh, occasion to reread the uh, book of Numbers. I wanted to be clear about all the places that the people had gone to, the two censuses that Moses took, and the purpose for him taking those uh, censuses to let the people know, okay, this is how many people we have, this is how many people are in each tribe, this is how many people are going forth into the promised land. These are the people that were whittled down. Now that we're going to have another census, let's see who we have left. The ones that argued, the ones who grumbled, the ones who wanted to go against God, now we have even less. Okay, so let's see who we're, you know, who we're taking into the promised land. And basically, the ones who had sinned against God, the one who had rebelled at Korah, the one who had, uh, had been in rebellion at Mirabah, and in all these other cities and points of interest where God was trying to lead his people through and saw their disobedience. You know, those who will stand up for the Lord and stand on my side and not stand with them. You know, those were the ones who were delivered. And so only the ones who were uh, older than, uh, or should be younger than 20 years old, as far as fighting men and younger, were the ones who were saved, except for two other exceptions. you remember those? I named my son one of those names, Caleb. And the other one is your son, right? Joshua. Maybe not Joshua, the son of Nun. Maybe it was Joshua, the son of Cecil and Dodia. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. But it was just those two. And what was the difference between those two guys and the other ten that were sent out from, from the uh, one from each tribe? They had faith. Thank you. They had faith in God. They believed in God. And they said, we should surely go in. And all the other ten came back. Oh, my God. We can't go into that country because look at the land. We're, you know, we're made to look like grasshoppers in our own eyes against these people. Look, they are giants in the land. You know, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And, you know, we had just one, uh, one little uh, group of grapes, you know, one little, uh, um, like, I guess, group of grapes where two men are carrying it. That's how large it is. Such a land flowing with abundance. And we should certainly go in. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. And the Lord has given us this land. And we should take it. And we should not fear. But so many did. 
and because of their fear, and because of their lack of trust in the Lord God, they not only gave up on their vision, they showed a lack of courage, and that distraughtness, that fear and doubt set in with many others who said to Moses, why did you bring us out here just so we could die in this desolate place? Why did you bring us to this place? Remember what happens when they ran out of, you know, when they were get, got tired of manna, what did they eat? You know, the, you know, they said, hey, you know, we need some meat. And then they got tired, you know, so much eating all the doves and, and what have you in the land, the, uh, the fowl in the land, eating that meat that they began to, you know, vomit until the, you know, till the food was coming out of their noses. They had it in so much abundance and didn't appreciate it. And then when they came to places where they were hungry, or excuse me, thirsty, and they said, why did you bring us out here just so we could die? Of thirst, It would have been better for us to have been in the land of bondage. By the way, do any of you have a, have a similar story of, wow, if I would have never stepped out, I would still be back there. If I would not have had, personally, a vision to continue on in education, I might have still been stuck in East L.A., wearing my pointy shoes, trying to, you know, make sure I could climb the chain link fence. Tu sabes, como no? You know, and running away from the hura, you know, the, the fleeing from the police, you know, just being faster than. You know, you, you think about, where would you be if it were not for Christ? Where would you be? Where would I be? And I told some of you the story already of... You know, of, of trying to earn points for God and if I wasn't seeking God and if I wasn't looking for Him and if I wasn't waiting for some kind of an answer and trying to earn points so that I could tip the scales in my favor I wouldn't have gone to those Bible studies on that Wednesday night when this guy says does anybody here at this house want to go to Bible study? Who comes to your door ask people to go to Bible study and you say yes I did weird kid huh? Weird kid. But I was already, I had already graduated from high school in June. It was now July probably. And I was already riding my 10-speed to the local church there, lighting my candle, saying my prayer. And that was a daily thing for me because I wanted to earn points for God. I wanted to make sure that the scales, when, you know, when it came down to the end of my life, tipped in my favor because I had to make sure I went to heaven. Thank God I am no longer in that place. And when someone asks me, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, I don't know. I've been real religious. I go to church every Sunday, you know. What does that mean? If we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if we don't know the true deliverer of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ the one who forgives us of all of our sins, then what does that say about us? And when we go to our heritage, the uh, Judeo-Christian heritage, when we look at where we came from, we came from the people of Moses and the people that he delivered, those that came into the promised land. We too want to go to a promised land, but it was Moses who took the children of Israel, always looking forward 
going not only to the promised land, but to the promised place of God. They were waiting for the Messiah that we already know about. You see where they were? They were in those same places of doubt. I don't know if we should go. I don't know if, you know, whatever. But then you have people like Joshua and Caleb willing to stand up. Weird people like me that actually answered the door and said, I'll go, I'll go, because I wanted to earn some points for God. I went for the wrong reason, but the Lord was able to get a hold of me after going to those Bible studies where I actually did begin to accept the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ actually died on the cross for my sins as well as yours. And then if I accepted that by faith, he says, I too could enter into his kingdom. You need to believe. You need to step out. Take the message that's being given here and live by it. Take those truths, the same things that uh, Brother Jeremy just read a little bit ago about. Teach these things to your children and to their children after them. Remember and don't forget these things. They're important. Well, Moses had a message. He had a message of delivery for the people of, uh, of Israel. And he's bringing them now into the promised land. And he's got a message from God that they should get up and go. That they've, they've been here long enough. Okay? They've been here long enough and now it's time to enter in. And so they're about to go. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take him. Well, Moses begins to appoint some leaders. In chapter 1 of verse 9, he says, At that time I said to you, You are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone, and the Lord your God has increased your numbers, so that you today are as many as the stars of the sky. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he's promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes by myself. So choose some wise, understanding, respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. Now you see that there's Moses. He's taken the, the burden of the entire nation of Israel upon himself. And he said, wait a minute, it's just too much for any one man to bear. We need leaders. So find those faithful men among you who will have charge over you, who can take care of these burdens. Moses wasn't trying to, uh, you know, pass the buck as it were. He just wanted to share the burden and make sure that people's needs were actually being addressed. Well... One of the things they do is they uh, go ahead and they get these leading men. They uh, uh, set them apart. You know, the spies are sent out here in the, the second phase here. The idea seemed good to them, so they each, each one of the 12 tribes uh, appointed one who went out into it to explore. When you get to verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, But you were unwilling... Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should back up here a second. Um... There is the message that comes back from Joshua and Caleb that they should go in because the land is good and the land uh, is uh, a land flowing with uh, uh, milk and honey and it's a good land that the Lord your God is giving us. 
But verse 26 says, But you were unwilling to go up, and you rebelled against the command of the Lord. And you grumbled in your tents, and you said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, who destroy us. And where can we go? And our brothers uh, you know, made us lose heart, and so forth. And he goes on and on, and he's beginning to describe some of the things that they went through. And verse 29 says, Then I said to you, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. By the way, if we actually believe the passage that says the Lord is the same to, you know, yesterday, today, and forever, then we should accept the truth that the God who delivered and had good intentions for his people in the time of Moses and in the time of the Israeli bondage in Egypt and how he had opened his heart to see their plight and had heard their cries and delivered them from that bondage and brought them to a place where Moses was able to bring them out of Egypt, then shouldn't we also trust him? He who brought us to this place, shall he not also deliver us to where he's promised? Think about where you are and where you're going. And if God has been faithful to bring you this far, should you not also be faithful to him to trust you, to take you all the way, just like he did? And we know in retrospect, we see how God has delivered his people, but they were in the midst of that. And when we're in the midst of it, we wonder, hey, can, can, is there any way out of it? And right now my son's going through something. And says, oh, my God, is there any way out of this? But God knows. That same God who delivered us from, from our troubles, who delivered the people of Israel out of their bondage and into the promised land. And there they are now. And you know what the Israelis are saying now. Shoot, where are the bombs coming from? By the way, they're issuing gas masks to everybody that are... You know, uh, everybody's you know has their bunkers set up, and you know they're just prepared for war any day, any day, any day. And there's that constant state of readiness because they have to prepare because all the nations around them are planning on attacking Israel, especially if we go to war with anybody else. Because whatever the United States does, what do they do? Remember Saddam Hussein, by the way. What do you do? He, f- he used to file, uh, fly those uh, Scud missiles over at Israel every time we bombed in. You know, till he was unable to anymore. And so, why do they pick on Israel? Why? I know it was prophesied. I know that it was a promise. And I know that God, who said that all these things would happen anyway, would still said he was still going to deliver them. That doesn't mean somebody won't get hurt. It doesn't mean somebody won't have some difficult issues to deal with. It doesn't mean that they won't have trials coming their way. But it does mean that we do have to be about our Father's business wherever we are and continue to be faithful to Him. So, who is going before you and who will fight for you? Trust in Him. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as, your, as a father carries his son all the way that you went until you reached this place. And in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord who went ahead of you in the journey in fire by night and cloud by day to search out the places for you to camp, to show you where you should go, how God placed all these travelers in a place where they could be sustained in the wilderness for those 40 years. And you remember some of the promises. 
their clothes didn't wear out, their sandals didn't wear out, their uh, sustenance was a provision that was given to them all of that time. And there was only two faithful people that came out of that, Joshua and Caleb. Well, you went ahead and you realized after all these people began to die, and after all those who were unfaithful had to perish in the wilderness where they were disobedient, then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord, verse 41. And we will go up and we will fight as the Lord our God has commanded us. So everyone, is, uh, every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it was easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord told me, tell them, do not go up and fight. When God gives us a fight, go up and fight. But when God says, stand down, stand down. Or, you know, wait, wait, don't go up until I prepare what I, what I have for you. But you went up anyway and you were defeated and you had to be shown. That it's not just that God is going to take care of you whenever you go to fight, but God will take care of you whenever you're obedient to do the things that he's told you to do, if that includes fighting or if it doesn't. Sometimes we get better victories by just waiting, standing back, and praying. And many of the guys, and there's a lot of young guys here, you know, what's the first thing you want? Oh, okay, well, bring it on. You know, let's go, you know. Or, you know, we just want to do it. And you, you know, that red-bloodedness, you know, and your, your, your strength and your vigor and your stupidity all get, you know, put in one little <laughs> little, uh, little cup of soup there. And, you, yeah, you just want to run out. You want to do it. Well, we can't always do it that way. Not by might. But by what? My spirit, says the Lord. All right, so let's be obedient to him. So I told you, but you wouldn't listen. You rebelled. Then, chapter 2. We turned back and we set out toward the desert along the road to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me for a long time. We made our way around the hill country of Seir. And the Lord said to me, You have made your way around this country long enough. Now turn north and give these people orders that you're about to pass through these different territories. Verse 7. Chapter 2. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands, and he has watched over your journey through this vast desert. In these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. So we went on past our brothers. <coughs> then the Lord said to me, verse 9, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war. For I will not give you any part of their land. I have given our, the descendants of Lot, as a possession. Well, there's some other journeys there. From my reading in the, the book of Numbers, I bring to you the, the stories of how God had delivered his people and he would bring them to a place and he would tell them to go in or he would tell them to stand down or he would tell them to wait and, and then he would... Say, go up. The victory is certainly yours. And go ahead and go against this people and drive them out of the land and, and utterly destroy them, them and their animals. Other times, they were, their animals were spared or uh, individuals were spared. And that was to do what? Show that they're to follow the orders of God. 
to be obedient to Him, not just do whatever they wanted to do. Well, verse 31, chapter 2, verse 31, The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sion and, and his country over you, to begin to, and now begin to conquer and possess the land. Well, so you're beginning to conquer this land, and then to the feet of Og, uh, the king of Bashan, in chapter 3, and then the division of the land, and, you know, this is where this is supposed to be going, and so forth. When you get over to the end of, or near the, uh, the two-thirds of the way through the, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, you hear at that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. And he's talking about these evil kings and their, their people. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. So do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And at that time I pleaded with the Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and the mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond Jordan, the, hill, the fine hill country, and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. And basically, Moses was given his order to stand down. Your time has come to an end. You have delivered these people so far. And by the way, it's kind of funny how Moses kind of put it off on, on the people. He said, the Lord was angry with me because of you. Really? Come on. If the Lord was angry with somebody, He was angry with them or the sin in them. Not because of someone else. The Lord showed His wrath against the sinful people and the rebellious people. And they're the ones who died in the desert, not Moses. But Moses, because he was faithful to deliver his people and to bring them into that promised area, was allowed to see. So he told them to go up to Mount Pisgah and look over and see all that land. But you're not going to go in. You're not going to go in. You're not going to possess that land with them. And the reason is, if you go back to Numbers 20, you'll see the people were grumbling against God and they wanted water. And so, what does Moses do? Like he took many of the prayers of the, the oh God, you know, this people, they keep murmuring, they keep grumbling, they keep arguing with me, they keep, you know, they're never satisfied. How do I appease this people? And by the way, you never will please everybody. But the Apostle Paul gives us a little bit of a prescription in the New Testament, he says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. But, there are some people you just cannot please. And if you have to choose between pleasing your boss and pleasing the Lord, pleasing your wife or pleasing the Lord, pleasing your, you know, your neighbor or pleasing the Lord, who are you going to choose? Easy, right? Or it should be easy. And sometimes we struggle a little. 
And the problem is, is with us. The reason we struggle, because, by, by the way, the Lord says, come to me for, you know, all you that labor and heavy laden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why is it that living this Christian life is so difficult? Because of us in the middle. We want it. You know, but I want to hang on to this sin. Or, but I really want to do this. Or I really want my neighbors to like me. Or whatever. Rather than just doing what the Lord wants you to do. And that's not popular. If ever you stand up like Moses. And become a leader. You become a target as well. And so what did they do? Moses was just there. And they, well, you always, you know, you brought us out in the desert and you did, you know, la, 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 la. All that stuff. Moses says, how long, you know, do I have to deal with this this people and so so on and so forth? And God says, well, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll get rid of it. Oh, no, 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 God. Hang on a second. You know, I'm praying for them. You know, I'm praying for their their deliverance. And, you know, hey, you know, it wasn't so bad and whatever. So you see the, the mixed feelings that Moses has as he's trying to deliver this people, as he's trying to, to abide by what God has given him to do, and yet, hey, wait a minute, when it comes down to actually, you know, doing what God wants him to do, it's like, oh man, are you serious? Yeah. Remember Abraham? You think he was serious about offering his son Isaac? Yeah. Did he want to? Absolutely not. Thank God. It was another ram in the thicket that got stuck and God provided a way out and said not to strike your son. Do not sacrifice him. But he had to ascertain Abraham's willingness and prove to Abraham that he could follow the Lord's command even if it's difficult. Moses had that difficult trial as well. And when it came time and they're in the wilderness and the people are murmuring and grumbling about him, going back to Numbers 20, where uh, he brings that prayer to God. God, you know, we're out here in the desert and we need, you know, we need water. The people are crying for water. Can you provide water? And God says, go up to this rock and speak to the rock. And the rock will bring forth water for the people. So what is Moses doing? He goes over there and he's still angry about this people and why he's got to do, you know, and he goes up to the rock and he just whacks it with his rod, you know. He whacks it not once but twice because he's still mad that they're murmuring and complaining. How could these people complain against me? Don't they know that I actually pray for them? I care for them and I've, you know, spared them and I've done all these, you know. And we always talk about, you know, how good we are and all the things that we've done. Don't they appreciate it? And, you know, I'm not loved. I'm not appreciated. I'm not cared for. No one's lifting me up like I should be, right? And so he gets angry. You know, uh, just a simple human emotion gets angry. Instead of following the Lord's command to go up to the rock and speak to it and bring forth water so that the people might be cared for or refreshed, instead he goes up in his own human emotions, takes his anger out on the rock using a rod that should never have stricken that rock. But he does it more than once. And after the second strike, water comes forth. And there's enough to feed, or excuse me, enough to quench the thirst of all the Israelites and all their cattle, all their children and all their animals. 
Great. So it shows you the Lord was faithful, right? The Lord took care of the people, right? But what happened with Moses? So even when Moses was disobedient, God was still faithful. When, when we are faithless, He's still faithful. And he'll still, he'll still bring about what He's already promised. God is that kind of God. He's that faithful. And He wants to do good. Remember, our Heavenly Father is a benevolent Father. God's got it out for our good. I told you you could quote me on that. Never heard anybody else say it. And I'm going to own that for myself. Put that as an epitaph on my tombstone. Or little, what do you call those things? Headstone. Now you don't even have a big old thing anymore out here in California, right? We have so many dead people. Some of them are actually erect on, uh, on top of the ground. But they're walking around. They don't know the Lord. And so they're just as dead as the people that are under the ground. But for me, I remember that God's got it out for our good. God wants the best for us. God has the best for us. And God wants us for our part. What does He want? He just wants everything. He wants you to be obedient to Him. And with your obedience, you'll be better than blessed. You'll be more blessed than blessed. Trust me now in this. Not just a tithing thing in Malachi 3.10, you know. Trust me now in this and see if I won't pour out from you the, you know, the windows of heaven, you know, more blessings than you'll be able to, to, to take. That's not just a tithing principle. It's a, a principle that leads in many other things. If God has shown you mercy, then, you know, then be merciful and show that mercy out. And, and then God does what to us? As we show mercy, he's more merciful to us the next time. And it's like, wow. So we can never outgive God or outdo God. So whatever he does to us, he wants to bless his people. Take this lesson from, the, uh, from this part of the book of Deuteronomy and from this part of the life, the tail end of Moses' life, as he's coming to the place where he's delivered the people out of Egypt. And now, through these 40 years of wandering, he's told to get up, take up your tent, and move up into the north country. Go to the place where I'm telling you to go. And now there's still some room to travel. And there's still some room to go. There's still some division of land to be done and so forth. And we're reminded of all those things here in Deuteronomy. But what happens to Moses? Okay. Moses' life in 40-year periods. First one, he grew up and he learned all the things and all the higher learning in Egypt. For the next 40 years, he ruled in Egypt under Pharaoh and was able to do great things and provide... Uh, you know, for the, uh, uh, the, the safety of, of his uh, people and so forth. And for the last 40 years, what did he do? He was able to wander with the people to be able to bring them into the promised land. Wow. That's where we find ourselves today. I, by the way, don't want to compare myself to Moses in the sense that he was a deliverer. But I do want to say that I've had my opportunity to be here at First Baptist Church and have enjoyed at least these 32 years. Am I going to stay another eight? I don't know. 40 years, that's a long time, you know. <laughs> 40 years, that's a long time. But I too have gotten angry. I too have said, 
when people were saying, no, we can't do this, no, we can't have another group use the facilities, no, you know, we, we don't want to share our facilities, no, we don't want to do this, or no, we don't want to do that. And I said, man, if God, you know, and we were sitting here in our pride, enjoying the fact that we owned the church building, and, you know, we didn't have to, to go anywhere to rent or do anything. And I, I, I got angry in my own way when people didn't want to do things that meant to grow. And I'll tell you about that in a second. By the way, and we were, you know, doing some things about using some of the upstairs classrooms, you know, for Sunday school, and some of the rooms were getting a little bit tight, and, you know, people were wondering about, well, you know, well, we kind of like it like this. It's kind of, you know, it's comfortable. And, you know, we don't, we don't want, you know, to have, like, too many, and then we have to have classes here, and, you know, we have to put some over here, cordon off this area, and, you know, have another class there. I said, wait a minute, those are, those are not problems. Those are growing pains. And it's a difference in your perspective. And so I would get upset with some of the thinking of people that we like it just like this. You know, where it's more comfortable. Well, you saw what happened. You know, we, you, you've seen how we've dwindled, dwindled, dwindled over the years. A lot of people have had to die off, move off, or whatever in this wilderness wandering, as it were. And now maybe people are taking heart and they can see the picture of a promised land, a new place, a place where we can go, be accepting of anybody and everybody, and let all God's people come to the house of God and worship and study His Word. I've been refreshed myself with a Joshua, as it were. I know that's not his name. We call him Jeremy. But Brother Jeremy came here and just uh, invigorated me, gave me some uh, some more life and hope and, and, and help. <laughs> Thank you, Brother. Appreciate that. We have a, a great leader in our, our associate pastor, so I appreciate that. But God has brought me to this place, and I, now I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell you some of the things I was angry at. So, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned some of those things. And when we were so worried about somebody spilling Kool-Aid, you know, by the way, which church does that not happen in? Okay, Gatorade or whatever it happens to be, punch. Okay? Or, and, and, and now, you know, or who, you know, misplaced this or... You know, like the coffee pot innards. Remember when the old percolators had to go up and now where's the innards? You know, somebody borrowed it and they didn't put it back and whatever, you know. See those people, whatever, you know. Just pointing the fingers. Instead of taking the place that God has given you, if God has given us all this, then we need to use it all. And if we don't use it all, then we're saying to the gift of God, God, uh, thank you, but, uh, you know, we really don't need it all. We only need this much space. Really? If God has given you a gift, don't look at him and say, no thanks, or, uh, you know, yeah, thanks God, but, you know, I think I have better ideas what I really want or what I really need. And, you know, all I want is a small convertible. I don't want a great big church bus or a big van, you know, to carry whatever I want to carry. Really? Do you think the young guy that's starving for affection, that wants to you know, be one of those players out there hitting on the young chicks, whatever, has this hot rod or this, you know, the sports car or, or what have you. But when he really genuinely falls in love, you still think he wants 
that sports car, especially if he's dreaming of having a family? Really? Can we give that up? Can we say goodbye to the sports car? I drive a minivan. You know, like, so what? You still get to carry your family, and now it's not just you. Now it's, it's somebody else that you care about, and your children with you. Praise the Lord. I know they're screaming, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, do we have to? And, you know, all the other things, and they're dirty, the upholstery, and, but that goes with it. That goes with it, and that's okay. That's okay. So my anger came back when we're arguing about all these stupid little things, and I, in my anger, just yelled and cursed, as it were, and said, if God just burned down this place today and gave us a tent and five chairs on the corner, we'd be better off. Because it's not about this building. God didn't deliver us so we could have a place to sit on Sunday. God delivered us so we could provide a place for others to sit and hear the word. Amen? I hope you're with me on that. God wants us to take His message. We've already received it. We already know where we're going. We already have trusted in the Lord Jesus. We already believe that heaven is ours because He's already given us that promise. And that's what Moses did for the children of Israel and that's what our leaders will do for us. They'll bring us to that place and let us see that there is a better land, a better place to be. Let me give you a little bit of history. You, you found out some of the history and you didn't even know it. Well, I'm over here at the 1900 block of uh, Galemont and whatever, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't go through. Galemont used to go through. Did you know that? Galemont was a through street. It didn't dead end right here. But then the 60 freeway came in and put a, put a block to that. So now instead of being in a a big long street that was available to everybody or more people could find a church as it were now we're in we're mid-block on a dead-end street that doesn't mean we can't carry the message out to the neighbors and let them know where we are and that kind of thing and by the way the gospel isn't only preached here it's preached wherever our individual lives are wherever we're conducting our business, wherever we're doing our day-to-day -day lives, with our neighbors or at the grocery mart, in schools or places of work or on the highways when we're saluting our friends with one finger or five, you know. But, uh, you know, you're giving a testimony. You're giving a testimony wherever you are. Uh, just hopefully it's a good testimony. Hi! Okay? Make sure it's a good testimony. Another little tidbit of, of uh, information about our church history. You know where that little uh, mini strip, there's like, what is it, five little businesses on the corner? Everybody know where that is right there? You know, you pass by when you drive down. That place? That used to be a couple of residences right there. Guess who owned it? First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights. Really? Yeah, really. And another house. Uh, 
So there was several houses. You know, the rich man right here that's got the full acre. Uh, maybe not so rich now. He's passed away. I don't think he knew God. Well, I know he didn't. And I don't think his children know, know the Lord either. And then there's another house. Well, so we owned a good part. We are trying to, you know, buy up the block, as it were. But when we put in this educational building, somebody had the grand idea. Let's sell those properties so we can pay off the note and we won't have to worry about a mortgage. Great! Except that, what do we do? We lost our exposure to the corner. Let me tell you another little Hacienda Heights piece of trivia. Does anybody know where Stimson is? Okay. You go down to Stimson, do you know where the 7-Eleven is there? It's on the south uh, east corner of Stimson and Gale. You know where it used to be? The second business back on this corner. And because it wasn't on the corner, they sold that place at quite a loss to buy a bigger place on the corner just because it makes better sense business-wise. Sometimes we're just as, you know, as sharp as a bowling ball, you know, dumb as a rock, as it were, about the things that we do. And we're short-sighted rather than seeing that whole vision of what God has for His people. If it made sense for 7-Eleven to move its business onto the corner, I mean, just like literally one space up, but of course they had to go across the street because they were landlocked. And wow, where are we? By the way, even before all that, before all that, we had a choice. Now, this is, it predates me, okay? I've been here 32 and, uh, you know, 32 years and change now. But before all that, before First Baptist Church in Hacienda Heights was planted at this place, they had a choice of a piece of property one block away, almost where we are here. You guys know where Winchell's is right there? Yeah. We had a choice of having that property or this property. He said, well, you know, this property is easier, you know, whatever, we can manage it, whatever. And Hacienda, you know, uh, was, by the way, Hacienda is what? A major, major thoroughfare. It goes all the way through, right? It's uh, Highway 39, if you will. And people wonder about it. Some years later, somebody who had some wealth offered the First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights some property on Kalima. Wow, on Kalima. The only caveat was they had to build a church. And the people said, oh, we don't have any money, we can't build a church. They took the gift that God was going to offer them and didn't advance. I have enough mistakes. I've made enough mistakes. I think I talked about that on September 8th, you know, many of the mistakes I've made. And so, and I, and I, and I told you about my anger, you know, just like, shoot, I hope this whole place burns down, you know. Today, just, we get five chairs in a, in a tent, you know. Maybe we'll be more appreciative of what we have. When I see, and by the way, I saw it in the bulletin from last week, the Lord's Prayer. When I see that there, it doesn't say, 
and give us enough bread so that we know it's going to last for 40 years. What does it say? And give us this day our daily bread. And I think the reason for that is, for, for us today, to trust God uh, daily. And the reason He only provided the manna while the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, that it only lasted one day. And then, of course, so they wouldn't break the Sabbath, it lasted two days on the day before the Sabbath. Remember that? It's so that we will trust the Lord. Because we can't trust in our stock portfolio. We can't trust in our bank account. We can't trust in our government job. You know, and I have one of those. We can't trust in our physical prowess and health and whatever. And Lord knows that's fleeting from this old body. We can't trust in any of those things. And by the way, anybody who thinks they're young and healthy and whatever, and nothing, no harm will ever befall them, wow. Have you looked around? Maybe some of your friends? Wow, he was so young, man. He had to die so quickly. Maybe it was a fiery crash. Maybe it was a, you know, a mortal uh, uh, illness. Whatever it happened to be, it's like, oh, I can't believe it. Or maybe it was their own mental torment that they could never measure up, even though you all thought they were perfect. And you hear about those people. They had everything going for them, and what did they do? They took their own lives. Wow. So where are you with the gift of God? Are you going to look and see that that promised land is a place that like Joshua and Caleb said, we should certainly go in, we should take over and we should do that, even as Moses led you there? And even as Joshua take up the charge and lead the people in and defeat the uh, opposing armies there? Or are you going to say, well, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of... Oh, it's, I don't know if it's the right time, or I don't know if I'm ready, or I don't know if I can minister, or I don't know if I can witness. Or, you know, I haven't received official, you know, official evangelistic training, or you know, I don't really know the Bible that well. Or I don't, hey, is anybody here a Christian? Anybody? I better see some hands. Otherwise, I've been doing the wrong thing. Anybody a believer? Okay, okay. There's one or two. I don't know about the others. Though. If you're a believer, then you have something to share. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who came in, delivered you from your sins, forgave you, and gave you also the promise of eternal life. You can share that with others. You have that ability. You may not know the best way. You may not know a certain evangelistic tool or uh, you know certain scriptures or whatever, but you can always share your testimony, what God has done for you, how God forgave <clears throat> forgave you <clears throat> and brought you to the place where he wants you to be. Thank God for people like Moses who would go up to his 120th year and continue to minister to the people, to take them to the place where God wanted them to be. And I hope we learn some more uh, about him in his ministry next week. Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you've given to us a good day, a good day where we've uh, looked at and examined some of your scriptures, seen the way that you moved people of old to go to the place where you wanted them to be, to possess a land that you said would be in an eternal inheritance for them. Lord, I pray that uh, we would go to the place where you have promised us and that we will take possession 
of that land. Do those things that are pleasing for you. Trusting you all the way. Blessing and watching over you. The things that you would do in and through our lives. Bless us, Lord, we pray in your name.